Welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. And this is episode number 25. That's right, 25 coming at you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California. And yes, we are so grateful for each and every one of you tuning in. episode number 25. I know I say it all the time, but uh, it's hard to believe we got this far. 25 is like the silver anniversary or whatever, right? But uh, yeah, just over a year reflecting on the show and uh, just nothing but a deep bow of gratitude to everybody who listens in, sends uh, feedback to b.gets at upfullife.com leaves reviews on the iTunes page um, just everybody out there listening normally I do a little like sort of quasi sponsor read or a thank you of some kind in the beginning of every episode so for this episode I'm just going to thank the listeners the people who uh, empower me to do this um, of course, it's great with the artist's uh, involvement and interactions and dialogues and conversations. And anytime the uh, artists support uh, the Up for Life podcast, it's crucial. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So we thank them as well. But it's really the listeners, the fans like myself, who are out there and just consuming the art, going to the shows, listening to the tunes, buying the merch, chiming in on uh, social media, uh, creating amazing communities and groups of friends that come together in support of the art. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty empowering, and it validates what we do here, and that goes for the Up Full Life podcast, too. Um, I really would not probably have the motivation 
or the fuel to really make this happen uh, quasi-regularly um, without the people. So I wanted to take just a couple moments in the beginning of the show and thank each and every listener out there that's gotten us up past 5,000 downloads and, and to 25 episodes and it just keeps this thing growing. Keep on growing. And now uh, you're hearing DJ Cam, old school, like 95, uh, started it off with gangsta shit. And now you're hearing mad blunted jazz. So uh, definitely recommend you check out some DJ Cam. Uh, the record's called Underground Vibes. And now we're going to turn the page and get into the featured guest on episode 25 of the Up Full Life podcast, Mr. Eric Krasno. We're going to hear a little bit of Soul Live and then I'll introduce him. Episode 25, we're lucky to have a very special guest, Mr. Eric Krasno of Soul Live, founding member of Lettuce, also the Eric Krasno band, and he's worked with so many artists, I don't even know where to begin. But Kras has sort of been a towering figure in my own fandom for the past 20 years. I first caught Soul Live around 2000, and... Uh, they were a revolutionary band, as we discuss in the interview. Um, but they had a profound effect on me and really sent me searching into yesteryear for the influences and it was all the years and years of soul, jazz, and funk, groove music, rare groove music. Soul Live gave me uh, the key to the kingdom, much like the Grey Boy All-Stars. And Kraz has always represented that um, in all these incarnations of all these different bands that he's been a part of. So it was an honor and a privilege to get to sit down with him uh, mid-September. He was out here on the West Coast in the Bay Area for uh, his E3 trio, was playing at Sweetwater in Mill Valley. And Sweetwater is owned by Bob Weir, and Kraz had spent uh, the afternoon in the studio with Mickey Hart, so there were GD vibes in the air. And uh, between the sound check and the show, we had an opportunity to peel away and have a proper powwow about all things Kraz. And that's exactly where we start with uh, a bunch on 
his new album under the Kraz moniker. It's called Telescope. It came out shortly after the interview was conducted. And it's definitely a departure from what you might expect from Eric, hence the uh, using the Kraz name instead of uh, under Eric Krasno. And as such, uh, we're going to play a tune from the record uh, before the interview starts. But yeah, we start there. And of course, we touch on 20 years of Soul Live. Uh, it takes us through yesteryear with Lettuce. And we get into uh, a lot of his connection with the Grateful Dead world. It was just really too sweet to be able to sit there and, and discuss his own path through the, the music and the culture and the community that is the Grateful Dead from being a fan, going to his first show with his brother in 88, all the way up to sharing the stage with Phil Lesh and and beyond. So it was a thrill to, uh, you know, just have Kraz walk us through that. Um, in addition to a number of other topics that'll be of note to fans of all his different projects. And towards the end of the interview, uh, he discusses his decision to play with Circles Around the Sun and as a tribute to his dearly departed friend, Neil Casal. And then we wrap it up with a little guitar shop talk with the Paul Reed Smith Silver Sky that he's been so fond of playing and really just shredding so hard for the past year or so. Um, so there you have it in a nutshell, um, nearly an hour with Eric Krasno. Um, but first we're going to play a song from Telescope called Leave a Little. Uh, you've been listening to Upright Soul Live live in san francisco it was released in 2009 it's uh got a full horn section you can hear zoid and sam burning in the background so we're gonna let you go with the rest of upright then you'll hear leave a little from telescope and then we'll be sitting down with kraz himself on the upful life podcast episode 25 
right, we're going to do it. Uh, backstage here at Sweetwater in Mill Valley, California. I'm honored and privileged to be with uh, Eric Krasnow, a man of many hats these days, but we know him from Soul Live, and uh, Eric Krasnow Trio is here uh, at Mill Valley for two night stand. Yeah. So, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Been, we've been, been wanting to do this. We want yeah. to sit down with you. So, yeah. yeah. Likewise, man. Like I said, it's an honor. And uh, on the way over here, when I was driving here with my partner, I was sort of reflecting a bit on how uh, you sort of shepherded me through 20 years of like different live music scenes and wow, experiences cool. since I first started seeing Soul Live. So I want to go in the Wayback Machine. I know yeah. we've got a, a window of time here, but let's start with the present. Yeah. So E3, Eric Krasno Trio, three yeah, Eric's. Yeah. yeah. Um, for the folks that don't know, what what is this project about? You know, it's that's a good question. I think we're kind of finding our footing as its own band and as its own thing uh, right now. And uh, the idea was that it was an easy unit to kind of move around, and 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 uh, I like having a three-piece band. And you know, I had the Eric Krasno band um, for a few years, where it was with Mary Corso and Danny and Eric Kalb on drums, who's been with me for a while. And Eric Kalb also was with Schofield for years, and Sharon Jones, and his kind of Great Boy All Stars, and he's Deep been Banana. Deep Banana. So I've known him for over twenty years. Right. Um, Eric Finland is kind of a new introduction into my world, and uh, he does the 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 bass thing really well with the left hand but also can sing great and it's just like one of those guys who can kind of do anything so he's just been been a huge addition to my little world um so like when we we just kind of tried it out one time because we were like oh we have i don't even know how it came about really but basically the whole band couldn't make it and i was like well let's just do this trio thing and and uh it clicked because um, we could kind of do some of the soul jazz stuff that I've always loved to do, um, but we could also do stuff from my solo album, Blood from a Stone, and they all knew that stuff. And um, kind of now just starting to write new stuff for this lineup, you know, and um, we can kind of go into anything, you know. That's the cool thing about this band is that we can do funk music, we can do blues type of stuff we can get psychedelic and weird and we're learning like a ton of different covers the idea with this band is i just want to have a massive repertoire so we can play a bunch of nights and change the set and always be flexible for guests and and, and different things like that you know yeah i noticed that in the uh i noticed that in the sound check is that you're kind of pulling from each bag of your career exactly. like you know a little bit of the soul live vibe with the with the jesus and uh and then some of the Blood from the Stone material. Yeah. Um, are you touching on any of your forthcoming record, the Kraz stuff? We plan to. Um, it's it's a, it's interesting because that album is really heavily produced. It's something that I did with um, without really thinking about live. That was kind of the idea. That was like why I kind of put it under a different name and all that. It's like I went deep into a, a production world with my, my partner, Jeremy Most, who produced it with me. And, uh, you know, I kind of... Now I'm now I'm kind of figuring out how to perform it live because there's so many layers of right. vocals and weird sounds and it's it's hard to do with a three piece band but some of the songs do just lend themselves to um, what we can do with this band you know so we are some of the songs are creeping into the repertoire but I'm kind of just letting that live on its own for a little while yeah. and uh, but but uh, I plan to play that music more and more. 
Right on, man. Well, I was really grateful that you, you know, gave me a little advance listen to the new record. Um, so for the folks at the know, it's under the the Kraz, K-R-A-Z. And uh, I've dove into it quite a bit. And I wanted to, first of all, this won't air until after it comes out. Um, but I wanted to talk just a little bit about the approach making a concept album. And, uh, you know, the way it's a story and you kind of have like uh, a whole rollout with you know, where you read a bit of the story and listen to the songs and so forth. So let's talk about that a little bit, because a lot of the music you write is, is improv, improv based or like jam vehicles or exploratory. And and this like is really produced, like you said, and it bumps kind of like uh, has that sort of voodoo texture where it's like lots of dynamics and it thumps. But there's a lot of beautiful guitar playing and tons of vocals and vocal harmonies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting. You know, I I went into this record trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, and I knew that I wanted there to be like a story arc to it, and I wanted to make a concept album. And part of it for me is like I've done a lot of studio work with different people where I've written from different perspectives, produced for, from different perspectives, and, and made things work for that artist. And I kind of wanted to do that where, for myself essentially, where... I'm actually writing from different perspectives because I always enjoyed being like, okay, I am this artist. I'm, I'm a woman singer that's got this kind of thing going on. Let me put myself into their head and, and write that right from their perspective. And then I wanted to go one further and be like, okay, I'm a person in this particular situation that's going through this and, and these are my surroundings and, um, what would I say about that? And it kind of like drew all these different ideas out of me that were like partly me, but also partly like myself kind of in someone else's head. So that was really like, it made it pretty inspired because I could talk about all these different things. And my last album was very much like about like a breakup and about my own experience where this is mostly about other people's stories that I part mostly made up, but some of it's based on different people I've known or like kind of the, the, what it really came from too, is that I've lived in this building for 15 years in Brooklyn and the people that are around me, I've seen them, their lives like change over time. I've seen these kids grow up that I bet that I don't know that well, they're my neighbors. But so I kind of like infused my like, version of what I thought their story might be you know what I mean even though I didn't really know that for sure so it's a weird idea but um as I dug deeper it got really fun you know and uh it's very a lot of the stories are pretty dark you know but there's a lot of hope in it um and once I linked up with Josh Clark to do the animation it it kind of took form you know and um, it was, it's a very challenging record for the audience. It's almost like I went opposite of what someone should do in this time in, it, in this time period. Because right. I was like, okay, I'm not just making a novel. You need to like, there's all these layers that you can dive into. But part, but the other, the, on the other side, I also tried to make the songs as appealing as I could. That like you don't need to know it's a concept record. Right. You can put on like vacant or whatever, and you can just listen to it. But if you want, if you're like, oh, what is this? Like, what is he talking about? You can dig, and there's these layers and these visuals um and then the other side of it was like i wanted the production to be like what i would an amalgamation of all the things that i've 
done over the years you know i've done a lot of like hip-hop records a lot of pop records a lot of people don't know that about me unless you're my friend or like you know and you know what i do day to day but i spend a lot of my time in the studio and people don't that's it's not like it used to be where like credits were out there all the time right and people could look at records so like i wanted this record to kind of fuse like my songwriting and my playing with like you know what I actually listen to like I don't really like I, I listen to hip hop I listen to pop music I listen to so many different things right. I love the Grateful Dead and I love improvised music I love jazz um, but when I'm listening to like modern music I listen to you know anything from like Tame Impala to like you know Unknown Mortal Orchestra or like you know Anderson Pack or you know, Busta Rhymes or whatever he's doing, or I mean, there's a million things. Andy Schauf, uh, there's like a lot of artists out there doing some interesting stuff that's not anywhere near the scene that I perform in. Right. You know, so um, it's gonna be an interesting um, battle to <laughs> to see. Not even a battle, but like I'm, I'm interested to see how this album does because it's gonna be. Um, and it's we'll see when it comes out if people if people uh, you know gravitate toward it because it's going right. to be a different crowd. I don't know that the like right. jam crowd if it's for them. I think they could enjoy it, but I think it's like something that maybe people outside of this scene might pick up on. You know, I would agree. Actually, I, we had that conversation on the way over when we were talking about how out of left field it is from yeah. someone who's coming from a soul live or jam band fan of Eric yeah. Krasno, the guitar player. Um, but I think there is a healthy, like sort of indie sensibility to a large cross section of that listener world yeah. where they would love a Tame Impala or yeah. a Bon Iver or any, any number of artists that are more on the indie, indie pop where the right. emphasis on the song, yeah. um, songs that really stuck out to me my favorite was recovery i think there's like really strong messaging there i mean aside from the directness of the story and where that figures in but if you were to just take the messaging from recovery there's a lot of like inspiration and overcoming adversity woven in there i feel like there's like a ton of like lenny kravitz vibe some gary clark jr vibe little like vocally we were talking about maybe a little john mayer rubbed off on you you know it's really interesting to see your contemporaries and like who you rub shoulders with and then how that informs your creative project. So I'm excited. Um, I really like it. And I think it's bold. It's like not safe. You know, you could have done another groove, jazz, funk thing, and people would eat it up. But I wanted to just touch on a little bit on, uh, you mentioned your 15 years in Brooklyn, in this building. Actually 20, but 15 in this building. Right. Um, And you recently moved to Los Angeles. So you're putting out this very Brooklyn-centric record but you no longer live in Brooklyn. You're out in L.A. So first of all, uh, let's talk about L.A. How How uh, is the move? I was going to say it looks good on you. You look yeah. great. So how has the uh, change in environment uh, affected you in an artistic fashion? Oh, it's been amazing. Um, I've had this dream for a long time, and a lot of my friends in the last year or two, three, had been leaving Brooklyn, and it, it started to make more and more sense. My fa- I have a lot of family. My brother and his family are in L.A., a lot of friends there and I found a, a house that had a recording studio built in the back and that's always been my dream is to have my studio right there and have all my gear and so you know the Feel Music Studios is, is fully up and running and it's a creative zone I've been producing a 
ton of stuff out of there working with some great artists and it's just been like creatively through the roof for me man it's it's really been great do you feel like you're gonna start working with musicians maybe like projects out of la anybody like will blades yeah. just moved down there he mentioned on the podcast it hasn't come out yet but uh that he's looking to link up with you down yeah, there we're planning we're actually doing a trio gig um it should be cool once this comes out uh that i can announce it it's we're doing a trio show on november 14th with uh zach nager on drums and, and will oh, right on. yeah so it'll be but yeah you know will's there Corey henry's like in my neighborhood and you know all these great musicians are right around the corner from me so um it'll i've been so busy the thing is that i travel so much out of there that when i'm there i'm kind of just in my studio so i'm trying to get out more and do more like playing out in la because it's it's been uh been busy but uh i plan to i plan to for sure yeah i wanted to uh maybe just pivot while we're here in the bay area um i feel like 20 years ago or even in the beginning when when soul live was coming of age um the grateful dead and and the sort of jazz funk ethos were were different maybe they like crossed over with the neville brothers in in new orleans but for the most part you know the grateful dead was like a curse word in some circles and um it's been amazing to see you as this conduit between both worlds and you've been like you know i watched you bring phil and george together at jazz fest this year you're always playing with phil and friends we're etc um I knew you were a high school deadhead because Eli told me back in the day. So I would always listen for little nuanced yeah, yeah. isms, but uh, obviously far more pronounced now. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of had a Grateful Dead shirt under my suit and slowly but surely <laughs> just tore it off. You know, but uh, yeah, it's funny because it's always been kind of a hidden passion because I no one around me would have ever understood it at certain times right. except my friends growing up like so my brother was a deadhead and he brought me to shows from when I was 12 years old I started seeing the dead in 88 89 90 and uh, saw a ton of shows in that time period that was like before I even played music I was like when I was before I even had a guitar you know and so when I had a guitar the first things I learned were Grateful Dead music uh, but then I started listening then it was like Hendrix and Zeppelin and I mean I listened to all that stuff before but then once I started like getting some some skill level and I always came back to Jerry though you know what I mean that was something I always appreciated I kind of had this it's like been a somewhat of a a a circle or something where I like went off and I wasn't listening to much Grateful Dead there were in that there was a time period where I was like deep into like you know Herbie Hancock and George Benson and all the the greats of that world and Grant Green and but I always, I always would go back to. Actually, there were certain certain records I would always go back to, and then I don't know, like kind of when it happened. I mean, it was right around when I started playing with Phil is when I kind of dove back into it hard, you know. As as I got deeper into songwriting too, as a, myself, you know, lyrically and stuff, I was always going back to you know Hunter Garcia songs and, and, and Barlow Weir but but specifically Hunter Garcia is like my favorite songbook of two right I mean it's them and Lennon McCartney that's that's it to me you know and so as I got more and more into writing myself I started going back to reference what they had done and also what the band like meant culturally you know what i mean because as you get older you start to like value all these different things and and the 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 sense of family around that band amongst the amongst the fans is something that made me want to make music and i remember explaining that 
to to Adam Deitch and all the the lettuce guys when we were in high school. I was talking about Fish at the time because they were the ones really like still playing at the time, and I remember them kind of like starting to open up to that. Grateful Dead was off the table. They they could they're, they're still. I mean, I, I'm kind of amazed that they are even open to it now because there was I was I had to Me hide. Too. I had to, and I don't even know really if they are, but we'll see. <laughs> but I guess what what I what I'm saying is like the scene around these bands and the the way that they tour I mean they invented what we're doing 100%. they like knocked down doors and blazed paths and like they were and beyond just the music it was like the experimentation the sound the 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 way they would tour um, the way they connected with their fans the way they kind of were able to work around the powers that be and be this massive um, entity uh, is amazing and it's like still it's like bigger than ever now yep. there's like there's there's a band in every single town playing a Grateful Dead song every day at least one probably five or six that power is unmatched in music in my opinion um, I would agree I mean like I was lucky my half sister Carol took me to see the dead when I was 14 so I got to see Garcia nine dead shows one Jerry Band show and that you know Garcia died when I was 17 I didn't know shit but it formed this vision of what I sought. And like you say about paving the way, it's like why I'm sitting here having this interview with you at this building for all that. They did it all. They yeah. paved the way. So it was just like a small victory when you sort of finally ripped off the yeah. suit and you had the steely shirt on underneath. It was like, <laughs> fuck yeah, Kraz. Yeah. So what was it like to go from, you know, seeing it as this, you know, counterculture revolution to, to you know, shoulder to shoulder with Phil Lesh on stage in, in front of, thousands of deadheads i mean it's been so surreal uh, you know i can't even explain it you know my my dad coming to see us at central park was like a moment where i kind of got a little perspective because he was the one the russo one uh no that was awesome too yeah. that was early and that was the right? very beginning i had never played i'd never really played i'd never played with phil we had so i've been open for him like many years before that but we didn't know each other you know it was like a thing i, I met him real quick a couple times but anyway uh that was the first time playing together with central park the three of us and and uh and then it quickly kind of started he started having me on shows and eventually had soul live on some shows um but uh yeah when my dad saw us at central park i think that band was was actually neil casal and um chris robinson and uh tony leone Adam McDougal and my my dad came backstage and you know like Tim hanging with Phil was just like a a wow moment because my dad lived in the Bay in the late 60s he was a radio DJ you know and he he had run into Phil before but like him being like you know I brought my son to see you guys you know I used to drop him off at these shows and him and his brother and da 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 it was a pretty cool moment um, to see the full circle there you know Oh, I can only imagine, man. It's got to be surreal. And like I said, when uh, you know, when you brought a jazz fest this year, when you brought because you've been also similarly similarly uh, brought into the bosom of the New Orleans funk music community, much like you have the Grateful Dead. I think it's a testament to who you are as a player, as an artist. You know, the reverence you have for these you know great traditions, and then you become the tradition. So to be the the sort of unifying force between George Porter Jr. and all that and that institution and then Phil and to be present for that was a really 
powerful thing. So on behalf of like all the fans, thank you for thank navigating you for that because I was like, no one ever, no one really noticed that. Well, I mean, no, they did, but uh, that that was a big like amongst us that were all there. Yeah. That was like a huge moment, and I had been working on that for like weeks, honestly. And then like it finally, because like I was like, hey man, when we're down at Jazz Fest, like. You down to hang? And Phil was, like, <laughs> Phil was like, yeah, man. He came out till five in the morning. I heard. Was it that John night? John Phillips actually of, said it on one the of, One of the nights. <laughs> he came out. He hung out with me like all over the place. He came to the Maple Leaf. This is really funny because me and Graham showed up and sat in with the... Uh, uh, <laughs> why am I blanking? Uh, suspects. The New Orleans Suspects. And... Uh, Phil, I didn't know what he was, get, he was getting into. And, like, we showed up, and Phil was like, I'll meet you over there. And that was the first night he was hanging, and I was like, he's not meeting us over here. And the band, of course, we get on stage, and Graham, oh, Graham was standing there, too. And they're like, well, does Graham want to sit in? I'm like, Graham, you want to sit in? They're like, sure. So they bust into Fire in the Mountain, which is always, like, the one thing that every, like, dude can play, you know. Right. And so they start playing Fire in the Mountain. And I didn't notice that Phil had slipped in the front and like made its way into the crowd and the lights go into the crowd because they start singing Fire in the Mountain and Phil's like got his fist up in the air looking at his son on stage in New Orleans and like he's going fire fire oh, on the mountain amazing. I was like oh my god <laughs> and then he hung out and like went to hung out and saw Medeski late night and was like hanging out till like all night yeah it's cool to see you know, him and, and Bobby, and I got to hang out with Mickey actually a bunch today up at his studio. It's just great to see the excitement that those guys have after all these years. I, it makes me really look forward to the future and, and, and hope that I have the energy that they have or George Porter has to just go at it every night and, and, and have that much fun playing with their friends, you know. It's a beautiful thing. They've built something amazing. Yeah. Well, they, they laid the foundation, and I think it's safe to say, you know, it's 2019, so we'll pivot here. One of the, um, you talked about opening for Phil or whatever. Um, I remember distinctly when they opened the back patio at Terrapin, and it was basically Phil live. It was Phil with Soul Live. And you talk about getting over the hump or convincing people to play dead songs. I imagine Neil Evans needed some talking to yeah. for that one. I mean, I'm sure, you know course it's gonna do it it's but funny how it just kind of you soften also with age and like you kind of become more open to things you know if that had happened 10 years prior i don't know what the reaction would have been but it was so cool to see the songs reinvented in the in the soul live yeah, format yeah yeah that was cool i mean that's what i mean that's a, a testament to phil he really wants to change it up and and i mean these songs are such great vehicles for all these different expressions there's so right. many ways to play these songs and he wants to try every which way right you know what i mean he wants he doesn't put the phil and friends together so he can just do his songs the way he wants to every night you know it's like to allow these other artists to uh, to inject their thing right. into these songs and add what add their flavor to it you know and that's why it's so much fun to do it with him and I've gotten to do it with so many different lineups and it's 
always like just super exciting, you know. And it's fearless improvisers, Modeski, Schofield, yourself. So I mean, he's picking people that are capable of taking the rocket ship where it needs to go. And sometimes it crashes and burns, but more often than not, it's an adventure. Oh, there's a lot of crashing and burning, but that's <laughs> that is the Grateful Dead. That is the uh, nature of the Grateful Dead. Is like I, you know one of the things that I've talked a lot with like Mayer about and some of the other people who have kind of like been ushered into the Grateful Dead scene is like you got to look at it that way. You can't feel defeated when something goes wrong, but but that's what it's all about is you have to like go out on these ledges and go for it and you are going to crash and burn a lot of the time but when you make it through the other side it's like nothing else you know what I mean that's the that's the whole thing is that people go to Grateful Dead concerts and they come back and they say ooh I saw this and they did this song they went this into that and they change that every single night and like it's like baseball cards it's like which ones did which one did you get oh I got this one and oh I got this version of that then they flipped it into that and then you know so it's that's what it's all about you know if you play the same set every single night you know like uh, like a, a pop artist it's, it's gonna get stale for the crowd and for the players yeah. you know so they kind of reinvented the wheel on that yeah. but I, I mean 20 years down the road here Soul Life I was thinking um, how revolutionary what you guys did was especially that time um, you know I, I really credit in that window so live and Medeski Martin and Wood, mm. both trios time, coming yeah. from you know that New York jazz sensibility, but yeah. the fearless improvisers, heavy hip hop. Yeah, nobody can thump and bump like like yeah. so live. Yeah, um, you reflect on that maybe a little bit, just in the sense that uh, you know you, you did the Wormtown thing. You, you mm. know you still put the the trio together from time to time. You brought mm. Bo Live back this year. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it, you see so live as a as a continual experience or more like a it's forever it's forever and also yeah and you know I think there's going to be moments where we're creating a lot and there's moments where we chill and it's definitely more chill than it was in the past but it's one of those things that'll never go away we're all we're we're in it we're a family it's 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 a beautiful thing and when we do get together and play even though it's not that often it's feels better than ever right you know the last few gigs the last two shows we've done are in my opinion are the best we've done yeah you know it's i heard Wormtown was off the chain it was off the charts our set was like i mean I, you know i don't know how it translates to everyone else but we feel better than right. we ever have um because we're all doing other things that are opening up what we do yeah. you know what i mean so like our band sounds nothing like it did in 1999 but the, it's the same concept of like you know you listen to American Beauty right. right and those songs are great and everything but now when they play it it's twisted on its head and thrown upside down and yeah. scrambled that's how it is for us like if you if you hear us play the songs from Turn It Out there's like I mean they're recognizable but it's like a whole other vibe you yeah. know and that's fun you right. know and we and we now we, we've played so many styles together over the years and Bowl Live has been a huge part of it because yeah. you know at the end of a Bowl Live we've got like 120 songs under our belt or something and we don't really we try not to repeat so it's like our repertoire is insane you know yeah. it's like we can do so much different stuff um, and we have so many original songs so many records and so when we get together it's really a blast just getting to dig into that stuff and the Lockin set also was and it was really funny because I've played Lockin every single year and this was the first time Soul Live has actually played because we really? were supposed to play years ago and got rained out And but I always I played every year with right. something or another and I never even that never occurred to me and uh, when we were like riding up there in the cart 
uh, somebody somebody else was like, yeah, man, a lot of these folks have never seen Soul Live, and you know, because they're all like this younger crop of right. of, of of people, and then we got up there, and it's just like massive uh, amount of people there, uh, a lot of which hadn't seen us before, which was a trip to me, having been there every single year, you know, yeah. and that's. But uh, anyway, it was a it was a really really great set. Yeah, hopefully we can turn that up. There's got to be some footage floating around. Yeah, yeah, I think um, there is. I was I was thinking back and kind of reflecting as I prepared for this interview. So I, I saw my first Soul Live show in 2000. So yeah. not the very beginning, but you were at 18 months old, yeah. still in the suits, playing the first yeah, yeah. record. You know, all the way up through next, doing it. You know, I my favorite tour. You know, I yeah. love all the incarnations, but was the big one was the review. Oh yeah, you know, with cool, like cool. Schumann, yeah, Holborns and Rourke on the tables. We were going for it. I went to four one. shows on that tour. Really? Yeah, I was oh. like driving around a lot, doing a lot of touring cool. yeah. and this and that, but. Um, so I really think that uh, you know, it's remarkable that all these years later, it's still fresh. You can still go out and play a lock-in yeah, or a worm yeah. town and walk off and be like, "Those are some of the best gigs we ever did." Yeah. Even though you've, you know, so many incarnations: Toussaint, yeah. Reggie Watts. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. People basically, um, you know, they know you from Soul Live, but yeah. they also know you from Lettuce. Mm -hmm. And you know, you were a founding member. You played with them for a long time. Um, you're still homies. Yeah. We can talk yeah. about first lock-in, yeah. you know, bringing out the members of the dead, you know, or yeah. Dead and Company, Bobby, so forth. You play, uh, you play pretty much every year at Jazz Fest, at Rage Fest. Um, but about five years ago, you know, you decided to walk away from, from the band or was, you know, decision yeah, from made, the touring, right, yeah, yeah. from the touring. You know, I mean, it was just timing. You know, when I, when I was starting that band and like going for it you know I there was a lot of different incarnations in the beginning because everybody was busy so I was kind of like at one point it was called the lettuce collective and I remember having cards and like stickers because like you know it was it was a concept for me in the beginning of having all these great musicians that could come together and you know we started writing songs but a lot of times in the beginning it was kind of like an amalgamation of covers and things and you know, I was literally like the driver, the booker, the manager. The I would like create the tapes in my tape deck and put stickers on them and ride around on my bike and hand out flyers. And it was, you know, it was, um, and it was like whoever in the crew could make it. I always wanted everyone to be there, but like a lot of times there would be different people. Um, and then as, you know, Soul Live happened and I, w I had been on the road for, years by the time lettuce was starting to you know i'm skipping a lot there but right. you know soul live was on the road hard for for many many years and uh we sparked up lettuce kind of on the side because it was like you know soul live was getting you know i was able to be like shapiro was it was actually was lettuce's first real real gigs were the wetlands because it was like right. we were doing the soul live residency and i was like hey man it'd be amazing to get like lettuce a show here and then we started playing there and then eventually got our own residency right. and January uh, one. yeah yeah and uh it was always kind of like a side thing that would come together and i for me i always just wanted it to be a fun thing i never wanted business involved that was always right. but that was me that was my head you know it was like, i always like wanted it to be something that was like could be in our basement or it could be at the wetlands or it was like homies you know and that's what and it was for a while that's what it was for a long time and we started getting festival offers and then it started getting bigger and honestly as it was as it became something where because all the guys in the band had different other bands and different mm -hmm. other incomes and as it started to take shape a lot of them really wanted to have an original band that could 
be their thing. Whereas I had already been doing that for 12 years, 10 right. years. So for me, that wasn't as appealing because they were like, let's go hit the road and do 100 shows a year. And I was like, dude, I'm already doing 50 shows. And honestly, I want to be a producer. Like, I was like, like I, I, like, I, I want to do less shows. So like, go, doing, adding more shows to me is not really on my plate. Especially, and also, you know, traveling with 12 people or whatever, 10 people or whatever. It was, was not really where my head was at, you know. However, musically, I've never been you know they're the reason why i do anything like when i was 16 years old i don't even think i would have become a musician if i hadn't met them you know they they were like the guys that pushed me so hard because i didn't know like when i met them i didn't know any other musicians my age that were as passionate about music and you know when i met deitch and jesus and schmeens and zoitis they were like also just into the same shit i was like i could not believe there was other people in the world that were like that <laughs> you know right. what I mean I thought I was like the only kid that and they also showed me a lot of shit you know Deitch showed me Tower of Power and Earth Wind and Fire I mean I had knew about it but he was the one that like smacked me in the face with it and was like check this out right and we all loved like that Herbie stuff but I and I started playing them like fish and things like that and being like but what if we took the elements of this and added it on the funk you know what I mean? And that was like those first jam sessions. I was like, what if we just took it all the way out there? You know, because there was no one doing like improvised funk music really at that time that were like going for it. Right. I mean, like, you know, and that was the elements that I loved from Fish was like they would just take these of the audience on this crazy ride. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that was like the concept I wanted to, to build on, you know, was to take this tower of power of energy and this groove but like add this psychedelic element that i hadn't seen happen before you know so that was always the idea and to bring it to the deadheads and the hippies because right. they didn't know as far as i knew because that was the thing is i saw how stoked they would get at fish shows when they would break into like a funk part right. but like none of them had heard james brown i was like imagine if they heard james brown <laughs> you know i mean they heard james brown but right. you know what i mean like what if it was as funky as james brown right. When they went into that, you know, and the horns were like, it! And like doing all those hits. So that was always like the idea. So, you know, what they have done with it is amazing, you know, right. and I'm so proud and so like happy about that, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was, wasn't the thing where I, I really wanted to get heavier into touring when, right. at that time in my life, you know. And so that, that, was, that was really where it... And I, I, you know, whenever there is an opportunity to play with any of them, I'm I'm all over it. As long as it doesn't mean, <laughs> you know, weeks on the road and right. and uh, you know, it was one of those things where I needed to build. I also really was at that time wanting to make a solo album, and at, at that the summer where it really split off, I had was I had like Tedeschi Trucks tour that I was right. playing, and then I had like another set I was making like a ra I was producing like two records and that, all this other shit and I was I like remember. you know what rather than me come in and out you guys just do this right and also it was a type of thing where like Schmeens Schmeens needed to kick the fucking door down that guy can yeah. play anything yeah. so it was like I also felt like it was an opportunity for him to just open up you know and like do some shit that was next level and he has I mean he's not even next level because he's always been able to do it right. it's just now that he has like the forum right. to do it you know no I I couldn't agree more and I think you really articulated it really well I feel like you know if we're going to be real there, it's a big discussion in the fan base maybe a little bit yeah. less so now than it was a few yeah, years yeah, ago yeah. but like 
Kraz or not Kraz? Like, yeah. is it the same? Is it better? Is it not? I feel like we won as the fans. Yeah, yeah. Because in that uh, period of time, not only have you gotten to do a bunch of soul light stuff, but you put out Blood from a Stone, you got the new yeah. record coming out, you're playing all this dead stuff, you're producing Tash Neal, yeah. Aaron Neville, and yeah. the list goes on. So you've been very prolific. It's not like yeah, you're not yeah. doing anything. Meanwhile, Lettuce has definitely transitioned into the single guitar attack, the writing yeah. music that's different, you know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. and I absolutely love well, that you know, too. When I was in the band, it wasn't a band. You know, right. now it's a band. Right. You know, we never toured like hundreds of shows. We would do like a show every once in a while right. and it would be like kind of tattered. And, you know, now they've been on the road for years right. and they've been like honing, 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 honing. So it's like now it's it's a band. Right. It was it was a band, but it was it was more like a, it was a collective. I, the whole original concept was a collective. Now it's a right. band. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that in itself is like really cool. Yeah. You know, it's a different thing than what... It's not though. It's different. It's different than it sounded in the very beginning. Yeah, it's way but it, but the, but the ideas and the concepts are are similar. Right. You know, I love it. I love when you show up and you play like a Rage era track, yeah, and then yeah, you'll yeah. step off stage and they'll do something from the new record, and it's yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. same band, but it's like different eras, yeah. um, and it's kind of like the collective thing because there's a lot of folks like yourself that have passed through the ranks. Yeah. you know the Rashawn Ross and James Casey's, etc. So it's a beautiful thing, and I just want to say I appreciate you taking the opportunity to like let people know yeah. what was behind that, what it's about, uh, to bring it full circle, because I know you got to eat and yeah. you got to hit the stage, yeah. um, was the lock-in thing. Yeah. And uh, we're here, we're talking about the dead, the major influences, and yeah. we all know it's no secret that, you know, lettuce aren't card-carrying deadheads. Maybe yeah. Schmeens, yeah. but yeah. for the yeah. most part, you know, they're into the, the Tower Power, the yeah. Herbie, yeah. back in the day. And... Uh, you know, you step away from the band and you develop this amazing relationship with the Grateful Dead world. Yeah. And meanwhile, Lettuce steps it to another level with what they're doing. Yeah. And then you were the person that got Weir and, and Mayer to come take the stage. And that was probably the biggest or most high-profile moment of Lettuce's yeah. career. Yeah, so yeah. what was that like, you know, just, just being a part of that night? You know... I don't know. It's funny that you say that now because I don't know if I'd ever thought about it like that. Yeah. You know, because we're always so busy and running around. I mean, I knew I was definitely, afterwards, I was like, oh, there was definitely a lot of people talking about it. But, um, no, you know, don't yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've been, I guess I don't follow that as much right. as I should, maybe. But, you know, I've been friends with, with Mayer for, you know, 20 years. And, you know, it's, we always, you know, he's all, he loves lettuce. You know, we've talked about it. And when, uh, I think I just texted him like, "Hey man, we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna do some Jerry songs. You want to come up?" He was like, "Not even it was two set, not even a second later. Like definitely, right up." And uh, and then Bobby like took a little while because it was kind of like I had talked to him Bobby before that, um, or Matt Bush really, and Matt was like, "Oh man, that sounds really cool. Let's just see how he's feeling." And da 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 da. Um, yeah, and I, I don't even really know what else to say about it. You know, we we just talked about it a bunch leading up to it and then we got we like put a rehearsal together that day and that's really it it wasn't like some grand plan really it's right. just that it was, it was a great idea from Shapiro he called me and he was he was like do you think he, the lettuce guys would do a Jerry thing and I was like I don't know <laughs> man ass, I don't him. know but then but then part of it was I did say to the guys I was like you know I'll reach out to whoever I can to see if they'll come come play right. and they were like they were stoked on that. Bill Kreutzmann is a huge fan of Deitch. Yeah. Um, and 
Billy was there, I, don't, I think, but I don't think he sat in. He didn't sit in. He was, no. but I think he was there, right? I don't know. I don't know. But Billy's a huge fan of Dice. He talks yeah. about it a lot. Um, he's like, man, Adam, wow, you know, right. Mickey too. Um, so you know, there's a lot of people. Those guys are they're listening to stuff. You know, they know what's happening. You yeah. know, Mayor Mayor has listened to Lettuce a bunch and like follows follows it online and you know, so he was he was stoked about it and. Uh, it was amazing yeah. to just because I wasn't there, but I was, yeah. you know, it was streamed. So like, you know, the whole, all the fans that yeah. have been fans of Soul Lab and Lettuce from New York and, yeah, and yeah, et cetera, yeah. you know, we're all sprinkled around the country now. Yeah. Like the, the, used to be the NYC Freaks crew and that sort of extended network. But yeah, we were yeah, all yeah, online yeah. together watching that transpire, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a really magical night. And uh, I don't know, I just wanted to also say thanks for facilitating that and like, Absolutely, you know, it was really man. awesome thing. Absolutely. Um, you know, the funny thing about, I don't know, with Mayor, um, let's, let's see, when did I meet Mayor? I guess it was early 2000s, so it wasn't 20 years. But uh, he was a... Uh, like a know, Berkeley cat, right? It's a Berkeley dude. He used to listen to Soul Live and stuff and he brought Soul Live on his first, well, not, I don't know if it was his first arena tour, but he brought us out on, a, on an arena tour with um, Pino and Brady when he was Blade. doing the Continuum album. Right. And uh, so that was pretty cool. So it became, you know, it came full circle having him come out and play with us. So I've done a lot of gigs like that, like The Stones. Yeah. I mean... It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is, man. One thing we talk about a lot online, because we're always watching you in different incarnations, you've always been uh, sort of like a hollow body guy. And when I was coming into the sound check tonight, I was like, wow, he's on the hollow body again. It sounded so sweet. Yeah. And like Grant Green-esque. Yeah. I come in and uh, it's the PRS. Yeah. Right? So what's the, you know, kill the big what are you doing? It's funny, because I have been trying to get that sound out of that. So thank you. Um, but that the yeah the the silver sky was something that um, it's John Mayer's signature guitar and he spent a lot of time with Paul Reed Smith and that crew developing it and I was just so impressed when I played it I was not expecting for it to be like a guitar I would play a lot mm-hmm. but when I went they you know he was like you gotta play it, you gotta try this thing so they sent it to me and it's amazing they they basically based it on a 64 Strat Stratocaster Fender and that's then, what I thought it was when but, it first and then they but you know with the modern technology and the various ways that they kind of have perfected things over the years they really improved on something that was amazing it doesn't you know it doesn't look like an old one it doesn't have that old vintage kind of look but I but it plays just amazing yeah. and uh but I still play my Ibanez, like my, my signature model, a lot. You know, when I'm doing the more hollow body thing, right. and I still play the, my, like I have a couple Gibsons and stuff. I switch around a lot, but that has been a really versatile guitar. So any, the thing is, also, it's like when I fly, I like to have. One, it's easier just to have one guitar, right. and I, they I can, can do t- all the. They things. can do a lot of things, and I like what that does. And it's small, and you know, so some of it's just yeah. that. It's light, and my back doesn't hurt after playing it because I'm getting old, man. You know, so and it's it's unlocked, <laughs> it's unlocked an, another facet of your playing. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. hear a little different nuances. I, I kind think. of like segued with an SG. I was playing an SG that Derek gave me one of his SGs. Great it's, it's a really special thing. guitar. But it was had a lot of issues. Like the intonation would go out. It would go out of tune. It was like... And then the, the Silver Sky... <clears throat> um, never goes out of tune. I can take the whammy bar and be like... Wah! And it still stays in tune. So there's certain things, you know, just technically that right. just... is so It's an easy guitar to like tour with you know? yeah. but I it kudos kudos to to them man they they nailed it with that thing it's right just on. it's incredible yeah it sounds great you look like you're having fun playing it yeah. it's helping you ergonomically with your back and Dude, stuff my back's and been better my shoulders been better yeah it's yeah. 
Yeah. What's uh What's the rest of the year look like for you? And then we'll sign off. Well, what do you got happening between now and, and the first of the year? Um. Well, there's one thing that I may not that I'm going to tell you right now, but you may have to cut it out. Okay. Is that okay? Sure. And we'll talk about it. Yeah, I can edit it out. Yeah. Um. So, uh, my dear friend Neil Casal mm. passed away a few weeks ago, and it looks like I'm gonna. This has been a really tough decision, but uh, Circles Around the Sun has wow. been planning a bunch of shows, and he, some of it, one of his last wishes was the band to continue, so it looks like I'm going to fill in for him on on a handful of shows. I don't know where that's, that's going to go, but you know, it's been a tough decision because it was so soon after, yeah. and I don't know how I feel about it but I also know that I got together with the guys and it just felt right and I'm such a huge fan of Neil's and he was a yeah. good friend and I was, was the last person to play with him That's and uh, spent a lot of time with him in these last days and it's a really weird situation but it looks like we're gonna at least do a handful of shows and pay tribute to Neil and what happens after that I don't really know right. but that will be coming up um now we can cut back in. Uh, I have got some shows happening with with uh, with Porter, and um, I'm doing a, a big show called The Tipping Point down in New Orleans with uh, Chris Robinson and Mavis Staples and a bunch of great artists. So I'm doing a lot of musical director work like that. Yeah, you've um, done a similar gig like that, right? Yeah, we've done Jeff's Tipping Spark. Point. Yeah, for three years, and then we're doing the Love Rocks uh, Beacon concert in yeah. March too. Um, and then uh, you know, some more solo gigs, more trio gigs. We've got a run at the Blue Note coming up. Um, we've got two shows in Texas coming up. So, combination of a bunch of things, producing yeah. a lot. You know. Same as it ever was. Yeah. Exactly. And what's the release date and the title of the new album? So, Kraz Telescope comes out September twenty seventh. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, it'll be out after this yeah. comes out. So cool. cool. People will check it out. Yeah. Let me let you eat. Cool. I'll say thank you. Thanks, dude. brother. <laughs> Yes, indeedy. You're hearing the Lettuce demo tape, which includes none other than Eric Krasno on guitar. Uh, this was purchased in the summer of 96 for five bucks at a Pass the Hat show at a cafe called Fire and Water in Northampton, Mass. Just really crazy, insane that I came upon this demo tape today the day that I'm putting together the Kraz pod for episode 25 uh, just felt cosmic in a way so shout out to Jamie Hatch who is the uh, SoundCloud account that uploaded this four years ago uh, gentleman is a gentleman and a scholar I should say uh, 
just a gift from the heavens. So you're hearing Hang Up Your Hang Ups, which is a Herbie Hancock and the Headhunters tune. Uh, that was really the first song I ever heard from Lettuce way back in the day. And it appears on their debut record, Out of Here. Uh, but I'm going to play a song called Equinox from this tape, which uh, you can really hear the earliest personality of the band, if you will. And then uh, and we'll get to the next interview. But again, crazy. Lettuce Demo Tape, 96. This is the Up for Life podcast. And that was special guest Eric Krasno.
say thank you to my friend Eric Krasno for that phenomenal interview. Man, I felt like we talked about so much, but we left a lot on the table too, so hopefully we can catch back up with Kras down the road, because that was just kind of like the tip of the iceberg for his incredible career. Nonetheless, that was an uh, enlightening conversation, and I was grateful to have it with him. So thanks, Kras. And uh, we're going to fit in another interview here that I've been holding on to for a few months waiting for the right time Um, when I was out in Colorado for Rage Rocks I linked up with my friend Leah Concialdi who uh, has multifaceted roles in the music world she is first and foremost an artist and performer herself she plays saxophone baritone saxophone and other horns uh, with the band Atomga you're hearing their track Lucidity in the background, uh, Atomga, and she also plays with another group called Tenertle, and then, you know, sits in and, and jams with uh, tons of different artists in Denver and in Colorado, etc. Um, partially because she's an essential cog in the wheel of Color Red. Color Red is a record label, a lifestyle brand, a crew, a vibe. Um, it's it's all things Colorado, um, spearheaded by Eddie Roberts, but uh, also with an extended uh, assortment of collaborators and people involved in the label. And um, you'll hear Leah talk about who's who and what's what with the color red label, what their vision is. Uh, talk about some of the releases now the releases have come out already because uh this interview took place in late june but uh you'll hear the color red is constantly releasing music on a weekly basis so make sure you check them out they were kind enough to make sure that eddie roberts came on the podcast a while back and in no small part to leah making that happen and uh, she's always feeding me the new shit from the label and uh you know, just been real asset to uh, all things Upful Life. So we're a big color red house here at Upful Life and a big fan of Leah. And she met with us in a random little city park in Denver one afternoon. Uh, we just kind of took a stroll and sat down at a park, park bench picnic table kind of thing and had a chat. I just wanted to get the scoop on color red hear a little bit about her bands, hear about, you know, her perspective as a female performing artist in the music industry in Denver, Colorado in 2019. So yeah, we got a little bit less than 20 minutes with Leah, and then we'll be back 
with the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. I'm going to send you off with a couple minutes more of Atomga. The track is called Lucidity on Color Red. Welcome to the Up Full Life podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for meeting us out. It was like beautiful day for a little while. Kind of got a little overcast, but I feel like they gave us a brief reprieve so we could get this chat in. Yeah, Denver weather, the late summer or late spring, early summer storms, they last 10 minutes. Yeah, it's like that in Florida when I lived there too. Nice. So, uh, yeah, like I said, you do a lot of things. So, let's just start off uh, with how I contacted or cool. connected with you most recently which is with Color Red Music. Mm -hmm. So you guys are kind of like a label slash like a lifestyle brand around music. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering if maybe for the folks at home that are less familiar with what is Color Red, what it's about, if you could sort of flesh out the idea or mission statement. Yeah, absolutely. So Color Red releases original music every single week. We also have a catalog of remixes that we're going to get much more active with. Uh, we have lots of DJs and producers in our network who are super tapped into the funk and soul scene um, internationally. So we're excited to roll more of those out. And it just exists as an entertainment platform within itself. We want people to land on the website and really dive headfirst into the experience. You might see, be brought there to, from Eddie of the New Master Sounds and listen to one of their tracks, but we want you to check out the site and see all of these unique bands that come through our studio both kind of in-house studio bands that have been formed and established bands alike so it's a whole catalog of music there's we update a spotify playlist every week with our releases so yeah if this picks your interest hope you guys check it out it's all on all major platforms and the site is color-red.co Right on. And you guys are really prolific. You're releasing something on a weekly basis, right? Yep. How does that work? You guys just sort of set up a calendar and slot them in? Or how far out do you know that you have music coming? 
Yeah, well, so our production team, so we have three primary producers, Eddie Roberts of the New Master Sons, who founded the label, and then Josh Fairman of Sun Squabby and Analog Sun, and also co-owns a studio called Scan Hope Sound in Littleton, Colorado. And then Mike Tallman, our creative director, who also plays in the group Beef Orchestra there, all of our producers. So they're constantly booking sessions in the studio with artists from all around. Like we might have a group that comes and plays Colorado and they'll come live and work at the Color Red House and studio and record some tracks there. Um, and then we book sessions with lots of Colorado bands and then kind of now just tapping into the opportunities um, if we see fit, possibly partnering with um, groups who are just looking to release something on a label or partner with somebody to get their tracks out. Um, so that's how that works. And once um, a session's produced, seen through, mixed, mastered, then we slot that into our release schedule. And we're lucky enough to have a team with really good methods, kind of down to a science where we you know, just dial them in and release on a weekly basis. Right on, yeah. It's really it's consistent and there's like a mm -hmm. whole aesthetic that comes with it. And I really think you guys are like the only one that's really doing that yeah, in this awesome. sort of funk and soul, mm -hmm. you know, world. And like you said, it's not limited to just Colorado artists. Eddie was on the show. We talked a little bit about, you know, when Mike Dillon came through and the Great yeah. All-Stars come through. So uh, maybe you fill us in on some of the artists that uh, we can look forward to in the future that we might not know is coming out on Color Red. Um, well, we just did. So if you go to the playlist and check out our site, we uh, released a few tracks under Josh Hoyer and the Macy Sounds. Josh is an amazing soul blues americana type artist from lincoln nebraska and he was on the voice i think in 2017 and he recorded with the macy sounds which is um john macy on pedal steel who's a prolific um, studio engineer in colorado plus eddie p and joe of the new master sound so they released um two tracks already and we have one more from that collection and then a few weeks ago, him and Eddie did a session with his band Soul Colossal. So that's something that like, I think is really neat. Like you could come in and do a collaboration and then maybe bring another project out. Um, this week, we just released a digital 45, two tracks of this really awesome Colorado band, Dragon Deer. Um, they're hitting the festival circuit pretty hard and they do kind of soulful, funky blues. Um, and then we have Jordan Leonard of Analog Sun on that one. Um, and then, yeah, like Eddie prefaced, we have even more music from the Mike, Mike Dillon and the Mellet Men, are what they're calling this project. Um, and then the Grey Boy All-Stars were in the studio, so look out later this year for more details on what that rollout looks like. Yeah, that's all sounds really exciting. And I like to give this opportunity when I have a show or have a, uh, you're an artist and an, I guess an administrator or executive of a record label. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear not just who the bold font names are that lots of people know the new master sounds, uh -huh. but like the underground stuff, like what's coming next, what's got you guys excited to bring it out. So I'm going to check out the, is it Josh Hoyer, you said? Yes. Right yeah, on. Josh Hoyer and the Macy Sounds are the two tracks that have come out. And then we have one more to release in that collection, probably in the coming months. And then uh, the follow-up session with his actual band, Josh Hoyer and Soul Colossal, just happened. Okay, and the other one was Dragon... 
Dragon Deer. So that Dragon was released Deer. this week. And oh, then right today, June 14th, we dropped another new Master Sounds track, the second single off their upcoming album. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to maybe just figure out what exactly is your role there because you know we hear about Eddie and Mike and so forth and, mm. um, but when I've had to interact or, or deal with the label in any capacity I'm talking to you uh -huh. so you're a woman of many hats many hats all right <laughs> well you know what's a typical you know work day or responsibilities like for you at the label yeah so I'm the label publicist um, and do tons of marketing facets so the main thing I do is uh, you know, write copy and direct the messaging for every release, lots of coordination with the artist, make sure that the language is on point and we're hitting the key points that we also want to highlight to distribution and Spotify playlists. Um, and then, you know, looking for partner outlets that might want to either feature the track on the playlist when the opportunities are right, sometimes run premieres um, when it's fit. Um, we do Color Red Presents shows where monthly on a monthly basis we're having shows in denver with either artists who've recorded on the label coming through or um you know that we've partnered with in some capacity so lots of venue coordination there um and then you know just making sure that we're growing and getting ears from far and wide and fielding any questions that people have so any questions about the label or what we do holler right on yeah one thing i noticed when I was just kind of uh, checking out Color Red, mm -hmm. um, is it's not your typical label because it's run by people who are mostly artists in exactly. some capacity instead of like executives and A&R folks. Yeah. And I think that was always the disconnect back in the day with the old model uh -huh. of record companies and the music business was like the disconnect between the artist and the executive. And that made mm -hmm. for all, we always hear about these struggles between uh -huh. the, the artists and the labels and I think it's cool that you know you guys are coming from a perspective where of an artist yeah. so you're going to be keen to what artists needs are yeah the trust factor is huge in so many people like we want to do stuff here just from knowing Eddie or the master sounds and then like knowing like or maybe they've recorded with Josh down at Scanhope or have played or want to play with Squabby or Analog Sun so it's really cool and like I think that that like brings like some unique elements to some of like the track messaging and copy i'm like sweet i get to talk about contrapuntal motion and like borrowed chord progressions from radiohead with reed mathis and his project and like kind of geek out um yeah so the whole musician factor kind of yeah enhances the publicist element i like them working together and separately yeah and also like you guys are sort of throwback aesthetic with the, some of the recording techniques oh, and yeah. the styles, uh, which you know is important. It gives a, a lot of the music that comes out on the label its certain feel or aesthetic. Definitely. But the other thing is, and you keep mentioning playlists and Spotify, is you're really super dialed into the current business model of how to distribute mm. music, and that's an awesome balance between like the throwback tradition and then being like really on the cusp of like how it works yeah. in 2019. Um, maybe pivot a little bit to you as an artist since we're talking about the artist side cool. of things you're baritone sax iwi you have a couple different projects so mm -hmm. when did you start playing horns when i was in fifth grade i was sick during choir auditions and always wanted to play the saxophone because steely dan taught me what a saxophone was when i was four years old thanks dad um, oh yeah we love steely big steely house yes you know, awesome they were playing at the where we had lunch today all awesome was great. good vibes yeah so fifth grade you uh -huh. start playing and then uh, where did you grow up? 
I grew up in Colorado, grew up in Parker, a little bit south of here, and then went to school in Greeley. There was nothing to do but party and practice, which I guess is a good thing in some You got elements. good at both. <laughs> I suppose, proficient. <laughs> right on. Um, and then, like, I always thought I would jump ship and move somewhere else just to experience a different place after college but right around that time 2009 2010 was really when Colorado was starting to blow up as a hotbed for music you know Pretty Lights was taking off like Electro Soul that whole movement um you know it was just yeah you're like why leave yeah it's going down here yeah and then like you know fast forward five years after that you see everyone's funneling in and moving here like some of the most prolific artists in our scene are now residing in Denver, Colorado. So it's kind of cool to have that pride point, like, yeah, this is my city, like, I grew up here. And then having, like, some of those artists, like, oh, yeah, like, you and your friends and that house you used to live in, like, that's a big reason why we moved here. Right on. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, I've watched from afar for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I visited Denver for many years for a variety of reasons and always come for Rage Rocks, mm-hmm. which is why I'm here this weekend. But it's really been amazing to see the sort of meteoric ascent of yeah. Denver as far as like a culture hub and it's, it's music and cannabis and people. I mean, there's just a whole lot going on here mm-hmm. uh, that it's really inspiring because there's like a darkness like in every direction in, in terms of like what's going on politically and culturally. Yeah. And then you come to a place like Denver and, and you just see, you know, a sort of different reality and it's, mm. it's pretty inspiring. So you're lucky to live here and, and to work yeah. the way you do. Um, so. When did you start like gigging? When did you start going? You know, fifth grade, you're probably playing in band, right? Uh-huh. So, uh, did you have like a high school project? Was you know, what oh, was the first thing? No, you start- no, I was um, had like a very traditional upbringing with music, and like honestly, up through college, like it was pretty much like, oh, you could you play saxophone, or you're going to music school, you could play classical music, which a saxophone player doesn't really do, even though I studied classical saxophone performance <laughs> in college kind of ironic um or you could play jazz music which like i love playing in jazz and big bands but like i've never really like super resonated it's like i'm just going to like play over a bunch of changes and regurgitate licks type sense like mad respect and props to that but (laughs) i mean that's why i discovered afrobeat which is a whole other story within itself um but um yeah to answer the question like when i started playing in bands outside of that more traditional upbringing uh, when I was in college like a good friend of mine in the in my saxophone studio started playing with like a colleague at his work in this band called Tricome which had roots and everything from reggae and kind of involved into more of like a disco funk type project and that like really opened my eyes to like a, oh like cool I'm playing for crowds bigger than I do in college and you know there's this whole other world so yeah, that kind of was the catalyst for the current projects and current endeavors and everything I do now. So, yeah, let's talk about now then. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, where did you go to college? UNC, University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. Okay. And there was a little bit of a scene there? <laughs> Not really at the time. Appa- okay. I rarely go back now, but apparently it's like winning like tourist awards. And like I read like the city itself was like, well, this is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Um, but like, no, it definitely had like its own scene and like all of my professors were really supportive and like in ways like tried to prepare for what your life as a professional musician or educator is going to look like. And it surprisingly has one of the best music schools in the country, which is why I went there like, okay, pay in-state tuition and 
just go a couple hours north. What are the projects that, you know, we talked earlier about Atonga, uh-huh. right? So let's start there. That, how would you describe that? So it's rooted in Afro, it's an Afro-funk band. Um, it's kind of started off with a bunch of musicians coming together just on a mutual love and admiration for Fela Kuti's music. So kind of started off playing covers. They're like, oh, hey, like, let's do an Antibalas cover. Like, let's do a Femi Kuti song. And then um, as we kind of really dialed in the sound and studying Afrobeat as a whole, we started writing original music. And that project's been around um, over eight years now. And that's my primary project. And we're starting a session at Color Red. So hope to release some new music uh, towards or later this year. And yeah. Right on. So how big is the band? Ten people. Ten people. Because most of you notice most Afrobeat bands, it's like really minimalist, but they're huge bands. Yeah. Like, Everybody just makes a little Yeah, like you, someone is playing a shaker the whole freaking time. Right. Like in uh, Femi's band and, um, and like all the, yeah, traditional bands. And um, you're playing Barry primarily in that band? Yeah. Okay, cool. What well, if somebody wanted to check out a Tonga, you know, would there be a particular, you know, track or EP or something that, you know, listeners could be like, oh, I want to check that out? Yeah, uh, last year we put out, uh, or I guess, well, two years ago now, we put out an EP called AGA, A-G-A, and it's actually um, an acronym for our first name, Atomga Groove Alliance, and then we're just like, no, that's too long, let's shorten that. Um, so that's four tracks, and that's a really good reflection of our current sound. Um, we have a somewhat new lead singer Lachey Calyptic of Arco and that's the first record that she recorded with us and then uh, we brought in uh, my old musical colleague in my first project Trico and we brought him in on auxiliary percussion and then we got a new drummer so that's a really nice reflection of the state of the band now and we're just looking forward to elevating that sound and these new vibes on our current Color Red recording project. Yeah that sounds exciting. Right on. Yeah. So AGA, A-G-A. Yep. Yeah, and I'm interested because you mentioned you had another female in in uh, Atomga. Mm-hmm. So it's not every day that you know you know Afrobeat. You don't always see a, a ton of women yeah. on stage. Have you noticed any sort of like when in breaking from that tradition, any uh, people, good or bad, acknowledging that? I mean, like, and I think, man, I don't know why, like, none of them come to mind. But I do see, like, like I'm a huge freak as far as like studying like other current modern afrobeat projects around the world because it's kind of cool like we all have like a somewhat similar origin story we love Fela and played projects and play a new projects inspired by his music um so like uh there's groups and i think it's new in afrobeat project and i think they're from chile uh but they have two or three women um, in their project, just like we do, we have three women in a tomga. Right on. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so, looking forward to checking. I mean, I've listened here and there, stuff that's been posted, but mm-hmm. you know, now you've really piqued my curiosity. Awesome. And I'm sure it's going to sound great, the new record, because you're doing it at Color Red. Yep. We know you guys go the extra mile there. Mm-hmm. But you also have another project, Tenertal. Yep. What's that one about? So that is kind of a live electro funk type project with sprinklings of hip hop, and uh, we just. Uh, really is kind of like a beach house type song so super vast edm um, sprinklings and flavors throughout and that project is 
uh, fronted by Trent Campbell. He went to Berkeley College of Music and studied contemporary composition. So, you know, he'll write all the music and this project really piques my interest because I get to like really go hard in the paint with like what my role as a side person is. Um, and I play three different instruments in there. So, well, sometimes more recording and just try to really amplify the quote unquote live band element and then give people something to watch and look at and we'll like often switch between instruments in a single song and like I love it when people come up and are like what's that electric oboe or what's uh, <laughs> like what's that like clarinet I'm like no that's a soprano saxophone right that's awesome yeah, yeah you know so you said three instruments so baritone tenor and iwi or baritone iwi soprano saxophone okay. those are the primary ones on stage but i have done like some flute and clarinet in the studio just to kind of fill out horn parts and do something different and you mentioned here when we we're talking about denver um that the sort of like live electronic thing uh is really this is sort of like home base yeah. for that so really cool for you to have the opportunity because you know there's a huge audience for that here mm -hmm. you know m more so than in other cities so you know I would be stoked I feel like that both the projects you described would be awesome out on like the West Coast Festival definitely scene, you know so I'll definitely get in some folks ears because I you know I think it'd be important for people to be exposed for you know to women mm -hmm. out there like doing really awesome ambitious magical musical things uh -huh. that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you do you feel like the culture you know currently uh, as a woman from mm -hmm. say when you got into the music business a decade ago till now do you feel like we're doing better in that regard with you know women or uh -huh. less so um you know I think that there definitely is an amplified awareness of just leveling the playing field like one of my favorite things about um, not just Denver but the culture overall is um, you know both in my internal network and just watching the scene flourish like women aren't necessarily afraid to voice not voice their opinions but create their own opportunities you know I feel like maybe 10 years or so ago people would think like oh you have to start like as like an intern at an agency or like, you know, some big company, no matter like whether it's business, booking, management, PR, like start and, you know, move up. Whereas like, I feel like now there's a big network of women who aren't afraid to start their own companies or create their own opportunities or, you know, say stuff like, oh, like we didn't get in on this festival or like this partnership didn't work out like screw it let's create our own opportunity or make our own festival so i'm really happy to see that going on right now cool thank you for uh giving me some of your time this afternoon yeah thank you so much for it. having me yeah I'm, I'm stoked to tell the people so if they want to find uh tomga is uh, a t-o-m-g-a yep all right and you gotta spell tenertle <laughs> t-n-e-r-t-l-e right on and uh color red dash color dash red .co. Yep. Cool. Right on. So Leah Conchaldi, Color Red Music, Atomga, Tenertle. Really awesome that we got to chat and uh, I look forward to keeping connected with you on all the levels. Yeah, great. Hey, right. thanks for yeah. having me. Right on. Listening to the Up for Life podcast from Curtis Park in Denver, Colorado. And we'll see you next time. Yes, indeedy. 
want to say thank you to the lovely and talented Leah Concialdi of Color Red and Atomga and Tenertle. Really exciting things going on out there in Denver and Colorado with the label and with her. So she's such an asset to have uh, in this community and culture and I'm part of the Up Full Life Color Red Connection. So thank you, Leah, for uh, everything, including that great conversation. Now we're going to close it out on episode 25, keeping the vibe uh, with the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. Now, you know, Kraz is a huge Della guy, and and we talked about that in the past, and he's written songs for Jay Della and such, and... Uh, you know, you're hearing Erica Badu in the background, and it sort of came to me because my incredible, loving partner sits across from me painting jars for her tea. Check it out, Path to Panacea tea, uh, for the holiday season. And she's wearing this amazing Badu hoodie that uh, our dear friend Otis got for her on her birthday when Badu and Most Def came and played at the Greek Theater just about a month ago. And uh, then it came to me, you know, Badu wrote and recorded the most epic eulogy song to Jay Dilla of them all. Kraz has done them, uh, Lettuce, you know, you name it. There's, there's a lot of dear Dilla tracks since he left this earthly plane. But in my heart and in my mind, one stands above all those wonderful tributes, and that is by Badu Omblangada, Fat Belly Bella herself, the Badula. And the track is called Telephone, and it is your Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. Um, on Telephone, Badu digs deeper and hurts the deepest. It's a slow, patient, seven-minute-plus eulogy to Dilla, apparently written the day after his funeral. And it is heartbreaking, beginning with phantom sirens, like his calling card, electric piano ripples, guitar scrapes, and eventually a peaceful procedural of bass. The last track on her album, New America, Inspired by a story Dilla's mother told Badu. Evidently, during Jay Dilla's final days, he'd like float in and out of consciousness and coherence and having very real conversations with people no one else could see. One of these people, as Dilla told his mother, was ODB, Old Dirty Bastard, uh, of the Wu-Tang Clan. And Dirty was telling Dilla that when he gets to the other side... Not to get on the red bus, though it might be inviting. The white bus would be the one to pick him up. Just a beautiful song and lyric and and sentiment. Telephone. It's old dirty. He wants to give you directions home. Only Badu could make ODB sound like a visionary guide through the afterlife. When people say funerals are celebrations of an individual's life as they fight back tears and look anything but celebratory, this song will make you believe it. 
Closing with the uplifting words, celebrate tonight. So, episode 25, Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. Produced by Questlove and James Poyser. Written also by the one and only Erica Badu. Low down Loretta Brown herself. For the dearly departed... James Yancey, J.D., J. Dilla. It's called Telephone. And that'll do it for episode 25 of the Up for Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. Yes, indeedy.